You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM at a slightly later time because of the match. If you were tuning into it, I hope your team won. I'm Sharon Noonan and on the programme tonight I welcome Karen Coakley, one half of Kenmare Foodies, who will be coming in regularly to keep us up to date with the culinary delights in her native Kerry and perhaps a bit of West Cork also. I'll be on the phone to Charlie Cole of Brockgammon Farm who'll be telling us about his famous Billy Burger and I'll also be putting a call into Sally McKenna who's agreed to share some of her seaweed knowledge and expertise with us. The diary will be at the end of the show as usual and just before that I have a report from the Dua Barbecue and Summer Festival for you. Before I welcome Karen Coakley, let me tell you how to get in touch with the best possible taste. You can send me an email s.noonan at live.ie or tweet me at Queen of Org, short for organisation. Now, Geraldine O'Sullivan, who used to produce the show, is off on maternity leave. Regular listeners will know that every week she had a report that focused on the county of Kerry. In her absence, I was keen to keep the listeners abreast as to what was happening in the kingdom, and I'm delighted that Karen Coakley of Kenmare Foodies fame has agreed to take up the gauntlet and will be reporting on a monthly basis. Let's have a listen to her first report in her new role as official Kerry correspondent for Best Possible Taste. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Karen, you're going to be covering Kerry for us from now on and you've discovered a new hot spot that you're going to tell us all about. I have, Sharon. I've discovered Heather Restaurant and it's at Moriarty's um, at the Gap of Dunlow. Um, you might be familiar with Moriarty's. It's there for, I think they're celebrating 50 years this year, so they're tying it in with the opening of their new cafe restaurant. They always had a craft shop there and this is a new big expansion for them. And I was there last week with Derek, my other half, and uh, Kenmare Foodies and we were really blown away by the whole thing. The girl who's running the place there is called Jennifer. She's the manager, the restaurant manager, and her chef, I think she said is Italian, but the enthusiasm and everything that's going on there, I think is going to be really good for food in Kerry and very good for local produce because what they're doing is the menu. It's not, she said the biggest problem they have is people are coming in and they're expecting a Sunday roast, but that's not what they're about. You know, they're, everything is local. They have a forager employed two mornings a week to forage for them and the menu is very different there's like a beautiful I had the most gorgeous smoked salmon soup with um, spinach and my little guy had that and he loved it there was beautiful paninis and the hot dishes are you know they're, they're very different they're talking about doing cassoulets and things like that for the winter because they, they want to tap into the passing trade like the walkers that are going up to the gap or the cyclists you know so they they want to they do want to cater for the um let's say the people in the winter who want something warming, but they want it to be different. They also have um, two polytunnels where they're growing all their own veg for their own, let's say, kitchen garden. So when we were there that day, Jennifer showed us around and at the moment it's just full of lettuce. So everything that you're eating in your salad bowl is coming from the, the two polytunnels in front of you. And they've big plans then to expand that and start growing their own root veg and everything. And she wants to tie in with the schools in Kerry to possibly get kids up, you know, for growing and gardening work workshops and things like that and then I think a very exciting thing is for the autumn she's talking
talking about maybe doing uh, supper clubs, like having one supper club a month, which I think is a lovely idea for, you know, people like ourselves who are into food that, you know, you can go and you can meet like minded people and talk about food. And it's something different, like a, almost like a mini pop up. So in terms know, of opening hours, is it open just during the day at the moment? It's open during the day at the moment for summer. I think it's from 11 until 7 and it's seven days a week. And I think they're going to stay going until maybe the end of November so like that it is it's something because I was the first day I went there I was blown away and I just said god I could see myself coming with my husband and the boys in the autumn because we love walking in the autumn that you'd park the car take a big long walk up to the gap and you know come back down and sit down and just have lovely food in a lovely surroundings the building itself is lovely there's loads of thought gone into it and um, sit down have a glass of wine it would be just perfect for listeners that might not be familiar with Kerry, just explain to them what the gap is. The gap is the gap of Dunlow. It's obviously um, the capital of Dunlow, like where you come through the mountains. It's so popular with tourists and Jarvies. And the day that I was going to Heather, I came from the Khmer side and I made the misfortune of going down through the Black Valley and through the gap, which is beautiful in the winter, but summertime you get stuck behind Jarvies. They are good. They will pull over and let you pass. Um, but it does take time. But it is the most stunning, one of the most beautiful places to drive through or even to walk through. So that's your hot spot for the, the That's month. my new hot spot for the month. Um, they have a website. It's uh, moriartis.ie. And Jennifer is blogging on that website. So she's got some recipes up there and the story of how, you know, they have evolved and things that they're doing and their plans and all of that. And they're also on Twitter. They're at Moriarty's The Gap. And I think they're well worth following and well worth checking out. Okay, great. And then you have a, a lovely new food find, which is as far from Kerry as it can possibly be. It's all the way from Mexico. It is, um, again, through Twitter, a very good friend of mine, um, or she's becoming a very good friend, is Lily Ramirez. And I've come across Lily's blog. Her blog is amazing. I'm meeting her Saturday for the first time because she's doing a pop-up demo. And uh, she's doing a demo in a pop-up restaurant, which I'm going to over in Mannings in West Cork, Mannings Emporium, which is one of, I think, the Southwest's or the South Monsters Hidden Treasures. So if anybody does feel like a day out for some place that's worth travelling to for local produce, Mannings in Balaliki is the place to go. It's an institution. But anyway, Lily is coming and she's doing her pop-up there. Mannings is where I can buy her food. It's close to me, but also she still, she sells her food online. She's got an online shop. It's... Um, what is it it's picadomexican.com is her online shop and it is worth going online to see what she has Um, Lily moved to Japan over 20 years ago and she met an Irish man there then she married that same Irish man in Mexico a few years later and then I think 13 years ago she took the leap and decided to live in Ireland and because she missed her own Mexican food so much it kind of led to her sourcing the food and bringing it over and then setting up her blog doing her workshops and two weeks ago she opened her first shop her real shop in Dublin Picado Mexican um, she's a fabulous girl I've tried her corn tortillas and they're absolutely amazing they're just and my mum's friend is celiac she's very bad celiac so I check and the back was they're they're gluten free they're absolutely they're nearly allergy free um, the flavour is completely different to what you buy in the supermarket there's 20 in the pack but they're far more filling they're far more substantial and they just have that really authentic flavour I've tried her salsas she does beautiful like she does like a, a green salsa and a red salsa again they're all fabulous and if you're lazy and if you don't want to go to the trouble of making your own salsa they're just fabulous to have she's got you know proper beans and everything so it's well worth checking her out 
And then you have a Mexican recipe for us. I have found online, um, I'll post the link on our blog, kinmarefoodies.com, in the next week. I have a link online for um, fajitas. Derek's always giving me out of me saying fajitas. For fajitas. And basically, it's just, it's so simple. I mean, for me, if you can get your paprika and your cayenne and your chili and your few little bits and put them in a bowl with your chicken strips, it takes all of like 30 seconds, which is the length of time it takes you to take it off the supermarket shelf in a packet and bring it to the checkout so it's far nicer if you make your own um, that would be on kinmarefoodies.com on our blog and then serve that with Lily's tortillas some homemade guacamole which you basically just buy your your avocado I always buy it maybe a week beforehand to ensure that it's really ripe because there's nothing worse than trying to mash an unripe avocado it's the most frustrating thing and even peeling it it's very difficult to get the avocado right I find yeah so I'm very good now what I do is I buy kind of plan in advance and I'll or just have them in the bowl anyway and just mash up your avocado with some chili some lime juice some coriander and a little bit of the fajita seasoning so that gives you your lovely guacamole oh and a squeeze of lime just lime and coriander are my favourite things and then serve that with some sour cream and if you have any of Lily's salsas or even make your own tomato salsa very quickly with just some tomato, onion, sugar, coriander, chilli and away you go. Lovely Friday evening tea. And would you be serving that with fried onions, peppers? I'd fry the chicken off with the, the onions, yeah, chicken with onions and peppers and mushrooms. And it doesn't take long to do it all? No, it's dinner in a flash. Lovely, perfect. And you're going to put that up onto the... That will be on Kinmare Foodies blog, on our own blog, kinmarefoodies.com. Then uh, Lily is on Twitter for anybody who wants to follow her. She's at Mexican Cook Era. She's just a great girl and lovely to chat to. Um, her website is www.mexicancook.ie and that'll bring you through her blog. And then her online shop is picadomexican.com and she's just well worth checking out. Now, you mentioned foraging there in uh, relation to Moriarty's, but you're actually a very avid forager yourself. Yeah, I try. (laughs) I love it. Um, Take the kids with us and it's just a great family day out. It gets them into food. It gets them interested. They know where things come from. They don't have any food fears. They're just into their food. So um, elderberry season is coming up very shortly. So hopefully when I come back again, maybe I'll have had made some elderberry cordial. Um, I don't think they're out yet. I think we're like maybe two weeks ahead of the season. But um, elderberry cordial is something. Um, I've been looking at cordials. I've been looking at a blackberry and apple cordial, you know, because we all make jam, but, you know, it's nice to think that you'll do something different with them. So that's another thing that I might have the next time around. And what I have done um, back a few weeks ago was I made elderflower champagne for the first time ever. So that was, I picked my elderflowers um, and then you just basically, you boil some water, you add your sugar, you stir it to dissolve the sugar, but you have to cool that down before you add in the elderflowers because if you don't cool it down, it won't ferment. And the whole point is to get it to ferment so that you get your bubbles going and then you have your little bit of alcohol in it. It takes about four weeks and you have to be very careful because if it does ferment, it gets fizzy. And the longer you have it, the fizzier it gets. So they say you have to be very careful because if you're making it for the first time in jars, the jars can explode. Now, I haven't had any exploding jars, but I've been opening it to let the air out, a little bit of the fizz out. So um, at the weekend we had like glasses of Prosecco with a little bit of the elderflower um, or fizz in the bottom. It was gorgeous. So that's one to mark down for next year. Sounds great. 
and then you have a new food find for us. Yes, um, again through Twitter, there's a lady on Twitter, um, their Twitter handle is at Bee Sensations I think, but she is, um, she's got bees obviously, so what she's doing is she's um, preserving her Amarina cherries in honey and poutine. Now everybody that I've given these to have literally just stopped mid-sentence once they get the hit of the cherry and they go, oh, and their eyes open up. They're just, they're absolutely beautiful. Um, I'm using them at the moment when I make cocktails. They're gorgeous in the bottom of a Mai Tai. Or we had visitors last weekend for breakfast, so they had French toast with mascarpone cheese and the, the Amarina cherries with the poutine and honey, or honey and pudding. And they are available in Bradley's off-license in Cork now. I think she might be selling them online, but if you follow her on Twitter and give her a tweet, I think she's very good. She sends them out. They're one of the most amazing things I've come across in recent years it's worth I think it's six euro for the jar but a little goes a long way and they are absolutely to die for okay great stuff there Karen and you're going to put the links up on the website on our website kinmarefoodies.com absolutely and in the meantime then you can follow us um, at kinmarefoodies that's our Twitter handle and Derek and I are tweeting there and then Facebook we're kinmarefoodies.com Perfect. And we look forward to welcoming you back in a month's time. Thanks, Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Lovely to have Karen with me here in the studio and she'll be back in four weeks, perhaps with her partner in crime, Derek McMahon. Be sure to make contact with her if you have a food story or event in the Kerry area that you would like her to share on best possible taste. Still to come tonight, Sally McKenna will be exalting the virtues of seaweed, news from the Dua Festival and Summer Barbecue, and details of some events taking place at the weekend. Next, though, we're heading over to the phones to talk to Charlie Cole of Brock Gammon Farm in Ballycastle, County Antrim. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. So at Brock Gammon Farm, we specialise in uh, kid goat meat, or cabrito, uh, free-range rose veal, seasonal wild game, and hand-harvested Irish seaweed. Goat sounds a bit unusual. Uh, yes, uh, well, well, everything we do is uh, a little bit unusual. Um, but what we're really trying to do is to target sort of uh, food waste, I suppose, in, in the agricultural system and really address people's um, you know, attitudes towards food. Um, you know, at a time of global food security, where we're sort of throwing out perfectly usable and fantastic products um, just because it's, it's not being commonly eaten or it's, uh, it's fallen out of fashion, really. So what's your strategy in terms of trying to convince people that these are nice products? Uh, well, the proof's in the pudding, so they say. Um, you know, once, once people have tried it, um, they fall in love with it. And it's just trying to get over that initial mental block or mental stigma that people appear to have. Uh, and, and we try to put forward in quite a fun way. We've, we've got sort of an I Love Goat uh, brand that we, we push. Uh, and basically just getting out there, we, we have a little... Um, uh, I suppose a street food setup. And we get out onto the streets and we, we, we bring the product to people, pre-cooked, so they can try it uh, where it's been cooked in a manner that uh, we know will sell it well. Uh, and we, we try to sort of get people to try it and just overcome their, their inhibitions, I suppose. So somebody comes along to you and they buy, is it a burger, a steak, or what way do you yep. serve the meat? We've got the infamous Billy Burger, um, and then we've got the Kid Kebab and the Cabrito Burrito and uh, silly fun little things like that. Um, and, you know, we, we can cook it up in a variety of different ways. Um, you know, we're, we're not just the farmers, we're, we're the butchers and we're the chefs, which is always quite fun. 
Um, so we're really able to sort of showcase the product in, in, in its best way. So if somebody buys goat meat off you then, what parts of the animal would it be? Yeah, well, it's, 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 it's a weird sort of set way, I suppose, because it, although it uh, tastes most similarly to beef, uh, it actually uh, cuts or joints the same way you would joint lamb. Uh, so any, any lamb joints would be uh, the equivocal in, in goat as well. And whenever you come to cook it then, do you eat it well done, rare, uh, medium? I think uh, the most important thing to remember is that because it's so low in fat, it's got a lower cholesterol value than corn-fed chicken. Uh, you've got to be really careful that you don't overcook it. Uh, so if you're going to pan fry it and have it pink, that's superb. But if you'd rather have it well done, then I recommend to people that they braise it or slow cook it, uh, just to make sure that they're not you know, uh, drying it out too much. How long have you actually been doing um, goat meat? Uh, well, we're just going into our third year now. Um, I, I started with 30 in my first year, so uh, I suppose I wasn't really doing it uh, until my second year. By the second year, I had a bigger throughput, and I was actually selling regularly. Um, then in the last year, I suppose, um, we've copied the business plan of, of using sort of uh, a waste asset for the male kids from dairy farms. Uh, we're now doing the same with bull calves from uh, beef, uh, or sorry, bull calves from cow dairy farms. Uh, so that that's grown a, another wing of our business, but along the same sort of uh, business plan, I suppose. And did you do a lot of research before you decided to go into the market? Yes, I spent about six months um, to a year, sort of humming and hawing about whether I should take the step. So it initially started, I suppose, as uh, my mum she she wanted a pet goat. Um, and I'd seen in the TV there that there was um, an increasing sort of uh, practice over in England that uh, people were rearing these uh, waste dairy uh, goats. Uh, so I thought, well, um, yeah, maybe there's potential over here. And I phoned up the, the Northern Ireland Goat Society, and they said that there most definitely was. Uh, and then I thought I had a fantastic market. Um, a gentleman came to me saying that he'd buy all the goats for export. Uh, unfortunately, that fell through. Uh, so we were left with no choice but to, to go down the local pub uh, with a lean mean grilling machine and uh, give it a go. Uh, and the first day we sold nothing. And then that evening, I think someone drunkenly turned around to his mate and dared him to try one of our burgers. Uh, and that burger was promptly passed around the entire room. Uh, they all agreed it was the best burger they ever had. And we sold out that weekend. It was a, a great start to the business, I suppose. A stroke of luck also. <laughs> yes. What do they taste like? You know, the way sometimes people would say rabbit is like chicken. What, yeah. what would you compare goat meat to? Uh, well, we would always say that uh, goat is, is probably most similar to beef. Uh, a beefy flavor, but then a venison texture. Because it's very close grain, very low in fat, uh, you know, it'd have more of a, a venison texture, but then a, a nice beefy flavor to it. And would there be different breeds of goat in the same way that there are of other animals like, like yeah. cows? Absolutely, there would be. Um, so we, we're working with dairy stocks, so we'd be working more with sort of um, Anglo-Nubian, Sarnians, Toppenbergs, uh, that, that side of things. Uh, there is the burgos, which would be a meat breed, uh, but what we really wanted to address and get a point was the sustainable food culture and the concept of using a, a byproduct from the dairy industry that was being put down and giving that poor animal a purpose in life. And where did you source them from originally? Did you have to buy them in from no, the no, UK? There's, there's, uh, over the past three years, there's been a big trend towards um, goat dairy farms with, uh, I suppose, lactose intolerance. People are sourcing goat's milk. And then there's also been a big thing in the food industry at the moment for goat's cheese. Uh, so we've actually probably got 10, 10 to 20 big commercial uh, 
dairy goat herds in Ireland uh, as a whole. You have talked there about exporting that you had planned to export originally. Do you export at all at the moment or is it all? Uh, everything we, we've really started to push now, the local food uh, culture and so everything is um, it's, it's, it's kept in Ireland. And you're selling directly to the consumer in the ho- household or? Uh, direct, directly to the consumer through our own farmer's markets. We also then supply small independents as well uh, with um, stocks to wholesale on, so other farm shops and uh, the like. Uh, and then we also have the street food wing of the business, which sort of promotes goat meat, uh, uh, game, and uh, free-range rose veal. Uh, and that really, I suppose, um, encourages people to try something new, uh, where they're not making a large commitment to the product. And then once they've done that, we find that we then meet them up in the, uh, the farmer's market, and they're more, more likely to then uh, buy off us as well, which is always great. And what farmers markets do you go to? Uh, well, we're we're looking to, to, to for new markets all the time, uh, but at the moment we do uh, Donald Doherty or Harry's Restaurant in Bridge End, Donegal. Uh, we then do um, one in uh, Derry there on the first Saturday. We've then got Coleraine. Uh, we've got Newton Breeder. We've got Cumber. We've got St George's in Belfast. A Larne Market. Uh, it's a real variety there. Um, and we're, we're sort of in a market every Saturday and Sunday. Um, and then we do the events there on top as well. So it keeps us busy and out of trouble. I was going to say that keeps you very busy, especially if you're out at weekends. What do the goats <laughs> do then? Are they quite low maintenance in terms of managing them and looking after them? Uh, when they're young, they're extremely high maintenance. Um, you know, we're, we're effectively becoming surrogate mothers. Uh, but over the years, we've become more efficient um, at farming them. Um, Initially, it was just myself and my mother. Uh, I was doing farming, and then she'd help with the butchery. Now my brother's come home from uh, Trinity, and he's, he's taken on the butcher's role. Uh, so I, I farm during the week, he does the butchery, and then at weekends we, we, we come together and uh, we're able to do all the markets uh, between us. And what do you hope for the business going into the future? Uh, well, hopefully we can uh, continue to grow as we are, just organically and slowly, uh, develop a few more other products alongside us, uh, provide a central hub as well for, for, for other small producers. Uh, we, we, we built a small butchery facility here, and people were struggling to get their own animals uh, processed. Uh, we're now uh, supporting a couple of pig producers in the local area who are able to market their products, uh, have us having butchered them for them. Uh, so we want to grow that side of the business. Uh, and then also just sort of uh, become a hub, I suppose, for learning and educating others um, as just sort of the, the local food story, really. Because you do farm visits, don't you? Yes, uh, so we do uh, one big farm visit every year uh, as part of the uh, Northern Ireland Open Farm uh, Weekend. Uh, and that was great fun this year. Um, and we want, to, we want to grow on that and uh, become an open farm sort of every weekend uh, and really encourage the customers up to come and visit us. Uh, the farm shop's open at the moment on a, on a Wednesday uh, to a Sunday. Um, so that's becoming increasingly popular and people are able to come in and see the animals and uh, then visit the farm shop. Um, but at the moment it's small and we just want to sort of develop that slowly as well. And in the farm shop, you're obviously selling the goat meat and some of your other products. What other things would be on the shelves there? Uh, yep, so there's, there's free-range rose veal, uh, there's wild game seasonally as well. Uh, we then have our own homegrown uh, uh, vegetables as well, which um, you know change seasonally. Uh, and then we try to stock other local producers as well. Uh, so we've got some brighter gold rapeseed oils there. We've got Bella Joe relishes. Uh, and then we sort of uh, look at other sort of local producers and try to stock uh, their produce too. And do you do something with seaweed also? 
Yeah, so we've got the, the seaweed harvesting there as well, which we do during the summer. Uh, so it, it tends to get a little cold during the winter months to be out picking. Uh, but we, we pick that during the summer and we would um, dry that and uh, mill it. And then you can use it much like a herb, I suppose, or a seasoning. Uh, and we use that. It makes very good sort of uh, meat rub. Or uh, we use those sea lettuce that we would use instead of salt when we're baking bread and things. Uh, so it's a very healthy sort of alternative to salt. Would you use it with the goat meat and the veal? Oh, yes. Uh, superb. Uh, a breadcrumb rub uh, made up with uh, some of the, the seaweeds there is superb. And what's your favourite whenever it comes to the goat meat? What's your favourite dish that you what's would dish? conjure up? Oh, that's a, a difficult one, that. Um, definitely, I, I prefer some of the sort of uh, food to go. Uh, that, that can be very good. But actually, I think we've got a bone-rolled loin there, uh, which we do a seaweed stuffing and then smoke. Um, and that, that is superb. It sounds very impressive. Is that something that you would serve to guests if you were having a dinner party? Uh, yeah, we, we would serve that after the dinner party sort of piece, I suppose. And then uh, we're, we're always experimenting here as well. Uh, so that's always good fun. Um, and then also, you know, getting, getting customer feedback as well. Uh, we've actually we've got a, a recipe competition there on our website um, with the, the opportunity for, uh, for, for applicants to, to get into a cookbook. Um, and it just means that we learn off uh, our customers as well as them learn off us. And if people want to find out more about Brockgammon and your products, what's the web address? Uh, the web address there would be brockgammon.com. Charlie, thanks so much for talking to us tonight and I look forward to trying one of the Billy Burgers in the near future. <laughs> Not a problem. We're looking forward to seeing you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're welcome back to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was chatting to Charlie Cole about Brock Gammon Farm and I have it on good authority from someone who has actually tasted the Billy Burger to say that it is fabulous and they can highly recommend it. Moving from meat now to veg, which comes from the sea, Sally McKenna is no stranger to exciting developments in the culinary world. And whilst the concept of eating seaweed may seem a bit strange to some, Sally is very much an advocate for incorporating it into your daily diet. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Why has seaweed become such a hot topic? Um, well, do you know something? It was a hot topic generations ago as well because it was so valuable, and that's probably why it's it's the same today. You know, it was there was a phrase in history saying um, "potatoes, children, seaweed," and I won't give you the Irish, but that it was in Irish, and it was the, the order of work for the woman of the day. So, potatoes was the most important thing in her life, and then beneath that, not so important was her children. And then right up there was the seaweed, which is an extraordinary, first of all, the, the way the children come second, but the fact that seaweed is right up there because it was, it was her, her um, fertilizer, food, and medicine cabinet as well. So, I mean, seaweed is the most extraordinary food, and I think people are realizing it. It makes things taste delicious, and it packs a punch of, of good things for you. So that's why I think it, there's a lot of interest in it again. And um, when did you develop a personal interest in it? Well, I was, you see, we were always writing the guide guidebooks, which was a question of being in the car or being in a restaurant or being in front of a computer. So I felt I needed to do something active physically. So I started kayaking and then I was looking at all this seaweed and wanted to know more. And I've been on a sort of a five-year voyage of discovery 
about seaweed and, and the, more, the more I learn about it, the more fascinated I become. It's such an interesting subject. So it was really just combining a love of kayaking, a love of the water and a love of food as well. And five years isn't a very long time to have amassed all the knowledge and expertise that you have in it. Well, the best thing about seaweed is you can be very confident about it because there's no poisonous seaweed. So it's not like mushrooms, you know, that there's a death cap mushroom that's out there that looks like the one on page three, but it's actually the one on page five, which is going to kill you in three hours. There's nothing like that in seaweed. Everything that, you, that we tend to eat looks like it's supposed to. And because of the way seaweed grows, it's always in the same place because um, the way seaweed grows, it's always there's, well, there's one that's always at the top of the tide in the splash zone, and there's other ones that are always right down deep um, in, in the low area, low tidal areas. And um, those are the kelps. So you know where they're going to be once you once you've just done a little bit of reading. And so it's actually you know you can build up a lot of knowledge quite quickly, and you can really start to eat seaweed from you know from the first time you go to the beach, and, and not have to worry that it's poisonous because it may not be palatable but it's not going to poison you. Well, talk me through the, the different varieties that are out there. Well, I would tend to, there's 500 varieties of seaweed growing in Ireland. I tend to use about 15 of them. Um, and they start from the top of the tide. If you, if you, if you go, the, the, the thing you'll probably see most of is what's known as the racks. And um, they're in the sort of, the, the, towards the top of the tide. If you look at them, if you look at the very, very highest bit, you'll see one rack which is slightly smaller than another one. And that's channeled rack. And it's called channeled rack because it's got these channels that catch the splashes and it's, it's above the splash zone. So you go down and you go a little bit below them and you've got the racks and um, they're really good for drying and using um, in bread and things like that. And then a little bit lower, you've got the sort of the sexy ones, which are the colorful ones. You've got the, the carrageen and the dillisk and the sea spaghetti, which grows from the bottom and comes to the top. And then down below that, you've got the kelps. Um, which are the very big ones, um, which are great for stocks and things like that, and also brilliant. They're all brilliant for the bath as well. Um, but I have to say, you can go, you can start by buying them. Don't feel you have to be, you know, you don't have to go down to the shoreline. There's wonderful producers of seaweed who've been harvesting it for generations, and you can get it quite easily in health food shops. So do a little bit of an experiment. So go go down to the beach and look at it, but also buy it in health food shops, and you and you you'll find it's great fun to use it. And of course, it's available in health food shops because it is such a superfood. You know, you just wouldn't believe how good it is for you. I mean, for the very, you know, the simplest thing, the seaweed nation, the nations that eat the most seaweed live the longest. And that's a fact. You know, they really do. Um, it's got 93 bioavailable nutri- nutrients in it, which is more than any other thing, any other plant. Um, and the whole world is sort of living in a state of mineral deficiency. And because of the way seaweed grows, seaweed's in the water, and it's taking all those minerals from the sea. And um, there's 56 minerals and trace elements in, in seaweed. I mean, there's things like magnesium and iodine. Uh, in the old days, they used to give iodine tablets to soldiers because they needed, you know, to, to improve their health. And um, we, we all need things like iodine. We need magnesium. We need selenium, zinc, calcium. Iron, you know, and, and they're all in seaweed. So it's, it sort of carries this punch of minerals. It's brilliant for our digestion. It's probiotic food and it's a prebiotic food. So, you know, it, it, it's very, very good for digestion. It's got vitamins. It's got antioxidants. Yeah, um, you know, you could go, you could say it's got twice as much vitamin C as orange juice. It's got um, 
10 times as much calcium as cow's milk or, or beef, 25 more than beef. I think it's got more iron than spinach. It's, you know, it is all the things they told you to eat. All you have to do is eat seaweed and you get all of them. It's got antioxidants. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's known, it's, the properties that are within seaweed are used for preventing and curing cancer. Um, it's just, it's a fantastic ingredient. And speaking of cancer, I, I read that it's very good to take it after you've had chemotherapy as it removes the toxins. Indeed, it does that. It, it sort of latches onto the, the toxins and removes them. And, and as well as that, it replaces all these, you know, it replaces things like iodine. With breast cancer, it's associated with an iodine deficiency. So I always say with seaweed, if you take it now before you get sick, that's the best thing because it's antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal. Um, it's got natural antibiotics in it. I mean, our, our, the, the women of the household knew that, uh, you know, pre and free famine times. And, and our grandmothers knew that. They, they'd give us a, ca- a carrageen drink um, and they, they just know that it was the right thing and that it cured the cough. We've now found out that it's a natural expectorant and it's got antibiotics and antiviral in it but what you once you're really dying of the cold it's almost you know seaweed's not going to help you there so you you know when you got to the stage where you have to have the antibiotic um that that's that's too late so what i'd say is put it into your diet now it's got all the vitamin the vitamin b's that help and because of the the iodine you know it, it helps children when with studying and um you know, it, it, it calms you because, of, um, because it's the thyroid, the iodine affects the thyroid. Uh, so you just put little bits into your diet straight away and, and it prevents yourself from getting sick. Really, that's, what, that's my tip. And if somebody is a bit nervous about trying it for the first time, which variety would you suggest to them to ease them into it? Well, I'd say if you want to just talk about seaweed taste, there's a, there's a five tastes now that people say um, sweet, salty, bitter, sour, and, and they discovered umami, and that was found in seaweed. And what umami does is it's just like a highlighter taste. So you can actually put seaweed into anything and you won't know that it's there. But what it does is it makes other things taste good because that's the umami um, you know, the sort of, the, we all talk about Chinese restaurant food because it has the, um, the monosodium glutinate, which is, it comes for, which comes as that, that idea of umami to make things taste stronger. That was all found and discovered naturally in seaweed originally. So I would say you can get these lovely, um, seaweed sprinkles now. A lot of the harvesters are doing it where they mill them. So you just put a, sta- a, t- a tablespoon of that into a casserole, into bread into anything, into a salad, and you won't even know it's there, but you'll be getting all the goodness from it, and you can give it... My children have grown up on seaweed. Uh, They're used to it now, because you sort of say, what's the flavor of the ice cream that you've made, and you say sort of vanilla and seaweed, and uh, they got used to it now, (laughs) because they know it's not going to taste taste bad. It just actually makes other things taste good. So buy buy it small and easy to... in the easy-to-use sprinkles, and then put it in everything. And what's your favorite? Um, well, whew, I think probably the Atlantic wakami, um, but it's one. It's a hard one to get because it loves really rough water. It doesn't. It likes cold, freezing, rough water, and you don't really want to be in the water at that time. So it's hard enough to get. And it's um, I, where I gathered it, it was all destroyed by the storms this year. So I don't know whether it's my favourite because it's so hard to get. But it's it, um, but it's a lovely one. But the, the, the nori is really flavoursome. That's um, the one. It looks like a plastic bag when you when you walk down. It's very unappetising. That's a seaweed. That's um, sushi. That's a sushi was made out of nori. Um, but you know, I, I love the fact that ordinary bladderwrack, you know, is so sort of this derided thing that we're supposed to spoil our swimming. But it's actually it's very good for weight loss and things like. It's been 
it's in much in demand by people like David Beckham and uh, you know who, who who use it for its weight loss properties and its health properties. And it's just it's just bladderwrack, you know, that we, we think is so ordinary. And so I, I love them all really. They're they're great fun, and it's it's such a, it's a lovely journey seaweed, just to discover it and learn it and start using it. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the last five years working with it and um, I would recommend it for anybody. You mentioned the storm there and that affected the, the quantities there. Does do, do things like the tides and the weather and the time of year affect how much is produced? Very much so. I mean, the first thing with seaweeds, the first thing you've got to do is learn the tides and, and you can get an app for it. But then that makes you actually look at the whole idea of the tides and you start noticing when it's a new moon and things like that, which is actually a lovely thing it gives you, gets you back in t- touch with nature, I think, because it's only at the new moon or the full moon that you'll get the, the very low tides, the spring tides, and that's when you get the full amount of seaweed. Um, during the half three-quarter moon and the quarter moon, you, you'll, you'll only get the racks, really. So you just have to learn this. And then at different times of year, they always, they always used to say in books March to September, but I soon discovered the reason why that is it's because it's probably safe to go down to the water during March and September. But there's lovely seaweeds. There's one called Pepperdolph, which is known as the, the, the truffle of the sea. And it's beautiful in around February, March. And um, they are actually around now, what happens is the seaweeds, they're spawning. So, you know, it comes in, in, in late summer when you're actually swimming with them. It's possibly not the best time to eat them because they just get a little bit ragged, that's all. Um, and they get a bit hot. They're actually, they're, they're lovely in the winter as well. So, just, uh, you know, it's always nice to be on the seaside. Um, so, you know, you just notice something different every time. But certainly um, they, they are seasonal. They're Like everything else, they're seasonal products. Well, being from the north, I grew up with dolls. Yes. At this time of the year, there'd be lots of dolls for sale in the shops. Yeah, and isn't it delicious? I mean, it, they used to give it to kids in, in their, you know, it would be in a school box. Um, yeah, so, it, and it's, when you toast it even more, it's, it's lovely. I mean, that, it, it's, that would be one of my favourites. It's, it's just so, when you chop it up and put it into anything, you, you can, that's one you can taste because it's really lovely, flavourful one. And, and it goes that sort of leathery when you dry it. And it's fantastic if you pick it yourself and you, and you dry it and it, it looks like the ones you buy in the shop and you think, I've got it. Um, it's a lovely one and, and it's one of the ones. The two that were, that were eaten most often would be dulse and carrageen. I think, because carrageen was made into the pudding. We never really lost the art of, of eating dulc or carrageen, but um, there's a few more to discover as well. And you've captured all your knowledge in your book, Extreme Greens. It, I loved writing it, I have to say, because you cook good, and there's loads of recipes, and they're very simple things. It's meant to be for just, a, you know, simple family cooking. It's got salads, it's got cakes, it's got a, a seaweed ice cream, it's got sausage rolls and it's quite simple but it's just it just shows all the ways in which you can put seaweed into the general nice things in life that that we like to cook and that's available to buy for 20 euros on your website which is guides.ie it is it's it's in shops as well but you can certainly get it from guides.ie which is our website yes Sally, it's a fascinating topic. I could talk to you all night about it and talk to you more about the recipes, but unfortunately we're out of time. And thanks so much for talking to us this evening. Thank you for, for I, I'll talk to, I'll talk to see you forever. So thank you for asking me. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Great to chat to Sally McKenna, whose knowledge and love of all things seaweed-related is very inspiring. Sally is also involved in curating the Theatre of Food at Electric Picnic, and I hope to talk to her again in a couple of weeks to find out more about that. 
Coming up next, we're heading back in time to the Dua Summer Festival and Barbecue. Dua native John Relihan was on the show telling us about the event a few weeks ago and it was a pleasure to meet him and some of his chef colleagues on the day. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleunter. And we're here at the Hangi. Yeah. Explain what that is. Well, it's um, a way that right through our Polynesia that we um, we cook food, and um, in various ways. But usually at home we use volcanic rocks. Um, but here, because we've got a shortage of volcanoes here in Ireland, uh, we're just going to be using large lumps of cast iron or steel. Should we have gone up to the Giant's Causeway there? And made signs, uh, we've got it? a hole dug, and we'll just uh, put in these irons, these railway lines that have been cut up just to check them, but um, they're going to come out of the hole when we light a fire. We'll put them into the fire, make them red, red hot, and then when we're all set to go, I'll call it Timata, and then start, and then uh, we'll drag these irons into the hole, then we'll place uh, the food on top of the irons, which will have a lot of cabbage leaves over here, separating the food from the hot irons, and then uh, we'll cover them with these wet cloths, and cover all all with nice clean cloths to keep all the food nice and moist and wet, very wet in there, so with all the heat, and then we bury it and cover it all over with dirt. We will bury it for about three and a half hours uh, where it acts like a big pressure cooker and then for the last half hour inside once all the water disappears it bakes it and then we'll dig it up and it'll all be ready. So what sort of food goes into the hangi? Well the more contemporary foods nowadays is uh, pork and chicken, beef, uh, lamb, just, just any meat we put in there, some venison today but uh, any of that. And then um, vegetables on top, sweet potatoes, potatoes. Cabbage, we love cabbage. Would there be big cuts of meat? Oh, we can do it in big cuts of meat, but they're going to roll it down a bit more this time. But we can put it in whole pigs, as we do at home sometimes. This is a very traditional way of cooking. It is, yeah. We'll try it. And so how many years does it date back? Oh, it dates back from... Because Maori people are Polynesian, so um, really it's the same cooking style right through our Polynesia, through all of it, so thousands of years, really. And is it a healthy way of cooking? Um... I wouldn't say that, but it's not unhealthy. It's just like roasting uh, something in an oven. If you eat the fat, then it's unhealthy. If you take it off, it's not. But it does turn um, not very good meat into very good quality meat. And that's because it takes a long time. It's slow. And in terms of temperatures, it must be fairly high temperature. Can you control the temperature in any way? No, it's one of those things. Once you bury it, you've got to pray that it comes up cooked. Because once you dig it up, that's it. Okay. It's a big pressure cooker, that's okay. what it is really. But it has a very earthy taste, it's, it's a beautiful taste. So do you have to be particular about what sort of land and what sort of ground you use? You that do, must yeah. affect the flavour. 
It, it does, but um, recently we did one in Belgium in an old battlefield, and so they had to check everything, and then we had to do various um, karakias and prayers to make sure that there was no one uh, laying around it. We're very particular about our, um, our mati, our, our dead people around us. And there's loads of timber and logs and wood here. The, they won't go near the, the hangi itself. They're just used for heating the irons. Then we take the irons, drag them into the hole, where at home we'd use volcanic rocks. Oh. Elian, you were there last night when the hangi came out of the ground. What was the reaction from the people that were there? Well, at first people were really curious. And then suddenly when the meat came out of the ground, amazement. There were a lot of ooings and eyings and ooh, what's in the ground? And then suddenly the pig's head came up, a couple of chickens, potatoes, veg. And how did they serve it then? Did they give it out to the people there and then, or did they bring it back over to the base camp area? So they brought it maybe um, 100 metres up the road, back to base camp, where they cut up the, the chickens and the pig, and they served it up. And what did they serve it with? They served it with, um, just on its own, it, it didn't need any sauce. The flavour of the meat was uh, pretty earthy, so lovely, beautiful flavours from the ground. It didn't need any additional flavourings. So there was some pork and there was some cabbage and some chicken. So there was pork, cabbage, chicken, potatoes and carrots. Yeah, and real just, simple food. Just put mm. it all on the plate all on the and plate. the people ate it. Was there a good crowd there? Oh, there was, see, the whole village was there, yeah. And they all came after Mass, which is a... Uh, Fantastic community event. Yeah, it brought everyone together. Did you have a taste yourself? I did indeed. And what yeah. did you think? Just real, just simple flavoured from the ground. Just. And you said there was an earthy taste to it. Kind That's of, obviously because of the way it, it was cooked. Exactly. Kind of a real, just natural flavourings from the real earthy, almost tastes like soil, you know, kind of just natural flavourings from and, the ground. Yeah. And all the plates were cleared. All the plates were cleared. Not a bite left. Matt, tell me what this structure is here beside us. So what we've done is we've built a cinder block pit as uh, we've used breeze blocks. Um, it's, it's a very rare thing. It's really done in South Carolina and um, America and they usually do pork butts, which are pork shoulders. What we've done is taken it one step further and we've used the best Irish pig and we put the whole one inside. So there is a, basically what we're looking at here, there's one, two, three, four breeze blocks high by one, two, three, four, five, six, seven wide and another one, two, three, five. So five by seven by five, say. And then on top of it, you have these metal, it's like a metal roof on it, but there's a bit of a hole in it there to that's let. That's right, and that, that's just to let a bit of the air through. So we don't, we've built in a damper just down there on the bottom in the middle, but also we can regulate the heat and the temperature going through there. The pig is ready, we're just waiting for the great people of Dua to come down. Um, and we're going to pull it out, and we've got a big theater, we've got the big Maori boys that will help us pull it out as well. Um, and then we're going to, put more theatre on later on today and put a fresh one in for tomorrow. And how do you prepare the pig? So basically we're going to pull it. So we're going to take all the crackling off and then we're just going to take all the meat off and we're going to get a fork and we're going to shred it. And then we're going to mix it with John Rallahan's amazing barbecue sauce. The one thing that we're very proud of that every single bit of food produce we've used here is from Ireland. And the pig itself then, how was it prepared before so, it actually went into the, the pit? We scored it first with a knife. Um, that helps um, absorb the heat to get nice lovely crackling because everyone loves some crackling. We've made up a rub, just a basic rub of fennel seeds, turmeric and a little bit of cumin powder and then we rub that down um, and then after that we brush it with clarified butter and herbs. I'll show you what that looks like. So we've got melted butter here and then we've got the herb brush which has got sage, rosemary and thyme. 
So you've basically got a wooden spatula here and you've tied all the herbs around the bottom of it to make it like a brush-like. Absolutely. Okay. So what happens is that all the herbs contain essential oils and when they reach at certain degrees of 35 degrees and above, they release those oils. So we've been using that to release the oils all over the pig. So you've got that wonderful herby flavour. So as the pig has been cooking, have you been basting it yes, in that as absolutely. well? absolutely, yeah. And how long does it take to cook the pig in its entirety? It's been in there 23 hours. We have one more hour and it's ready. So it's 24 hours slow and low. You'll need a big platter to serve it on. Absolutely, eh? Absolutely. But I'm sure with the Irish appetite, there's not going to be a problem. I look forward to having a taste. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thanks, Matt. Find out what people think about the food today. Did you enjoy it? It was lovely, very enjoyable, very relaxed, sociable day. Yeah, very nice. What was the highlight on the menu the for you? The highlight was the beef. It was lovely. It was lovely and rare and um, delicious. Yeah. Beautiful food, enjoyed it and uh, very nice, I must say. Yeah. Folks, what did you have to eat today? I had the, um, had the beef, I had the pulled pork twice, I had gorgeous chocolate cake, award winning chocolate cake. I had ribs, uh, but I didn't have the tongue. I stopped short at the tongue. Yeah. What did you have yourself? Mostly salad and the beef, and um, I had a potatoes. What are you eating there, sir? We're trying out a bit of pork and uh, roast beef. And how is it? It's absolutely delicious. And the flavour, I asked what the flavour was, they're cooking with turf, barbecuing with turf. And there's plenty of that in this neck of the woods outside. There is indeed. It's a lovely load of it for sale across the road. <laughs> Have you had something nice to eat today? Yes, we had some lovely pork earlier on. And did you have any of the nice salads with it? Oh yes, yes, we had uh, mixed leaves and yeah, it was delicious. delicious. I had uh, the wrap with the beef. What about yourself? Very same as Mary, absolutely fabulous. Have I got you at a bad time, sir? No, 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 I'm fine. Okay, hello. <laughs> you look like you're enjoying your wrap Oh, very there. much so, yes. What's in it? Um, beef and salad. Excellent. Tasty. The tastiest food I've had in a long time, you ha- know. Have you had a chance to try a few things, or is this your first bite of the day? I had a bit of rib earlier. A bit of the ribs that were from the smoker there with uh, barbecue joes. Absolutely stunning. What's the highlight been for you this weekend? Um... I'm a very family guy. I'm, I'm, I'm like to keep my friends. So that's me and John and Jamie and, and everyone around me is a friend forever. When I came last year for Dua, I just see, I describe the community as uh, Irish people are happy. There's no one you can see is unhappy. Everyone's nice. Everyone's happy. Everyone, you know, can enjoy and make friends. So. That's why I came back this year. I will come back next year again. Well, we look Fantastic. forward to you coming Fantastic. back. Thanks so much for being here. And, it was and next to year, talk I'm to sure you. next year will be bigger than this one. Great. For sure. Thanks, Santos. You're welcome. Thank you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're welcome back to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. If you're just tuning into the show, you can catch up with us later in the week when we upload the show to our podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash food and drink show. And there's hyphens between the food and drink. 
Just before the break, I was talking to some of the diners and barbecuers at the Dua Summer Festival and Barbecue. I have more interviews from that that I'll share with you over the coming weeks, including a lovely chat with Danny McCoppin, who works for the Jamie Oliver Food Foundation. This weekend, festivals include the Dullin Craft Beer and Food Festival in County Clare, and further up the country, a taste of Donegal takes place. I bumped into Brian McDermott, aka the No Salt Chef, on my travels recently, and he had this to say about the event. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Sharon, Taste of Donegal, I think it's a brilliant festival and it's very easy for me to say that being from Donegal but I travel to a lot of the festivals and the whole sort of festival scene, food festival scene in Ireland and for me it's good for a number of reasons. It's good because it actually draws a lot of the producers from right around Ireland up to Donegal to showcase Donegal but secondly, equally, these producers actually trade very well in Donegal and that's for a number of reasons. There'll be, I think there'll be about 147 producers this year in Donegal from all over Ireland and as I say, they're from Little Village to independent people to well-established people providing food to the public for sale so it's brilliant it's a great festival and there's cookery demonstrations I presume yeah there's always a fantastic lineup of very well-known chefs um, on there for the three-day festival and that's what's great about it three days Friday starting on Friday right through to the Sunday so this year for example you know we're going to have Nevin Maguire you can't have a food festival without Nevin Maguire um, and he just headlines that we're going to have Kevin Dundon and going to be there myself um, some local chefs as well which is very important you know I think if you're if you're going to showcase local produce it's also important to showcase local chefs and you know there's a lot of chefs who cook in their own kitchens and possibly don't have the confidence to come out and cook out front but what we do is we help them along and allow them to showcase their restaurant because ultimately it's them the choosing the food from the producers for sale to the public and is there a charge to attend the event? There is, but it's minimal. I mean, you're talking a few euros. Uh, I think it's somewhere, I mean, don't quote me, something around about three euros, I think, this year, which is um, buttons to get in, because once you get in, you will eat that in the first three minutes. So it'll be very well spent. And again, all the companies provide tastings right throughout. And if you make your way around 147 producers, I can guarantee you'll not leave Donegal hungry. And is it Donegal Town or where in the county is it taking place? Yes, it is. It's right down on the quay in Donegal Town. You cannot miss it because it just takes takes over Donegal Town for the entire weekend. So um, get booking, get planning early, um, come along and do spend more than one day. You'll need it to get around those producers. Sit along and watch the chefs, the demonstrations. Um, they're there all weekend. And if people want to find out more about it, is yep, there a web address? There is, and, and we're online as well um, on Facebook. So it's just a taste of Donegal Food Festival. You'll find us with a quick Google. We wish you all the best with it, Brian. Thanks Thank so you, much. Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. That brings us to the end of the show this week. Thanks to everyone who contributed to the programme, including Karen Coakley for travelling all the way from Kenmare, Charlie Cole and Sally McKenna for chatting on the phone. Thanks to you for tuning in and don't forget that the podcast is on soundcloud.com. Keep in touch by emailing me or tweeting me. Details coming up. Until next week when Declan Nash from DN Fitness will be here to talk diet in preparation for marathons and adventure races such as A Dare to Survive, which is on in September. Bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!